welcome to episode 176 of Friends of Film. We bring latest movie news and review the biggest new release, which this week is Aladdin. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Straley. Hello, everybody. Hello, Cooper. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. Great. You've been talking about your love for Barry. Yes, I finally started watching Barry. Um because just all the talk online it seems like nowadays mm-hmm. i'm like all right i need to get in the know i need to get ready for season three uh when it comes out next year <laughs> it's what it's where the people who do, are too haughty twatty to watch game of thrones went to and said oh this is actually the best show you should be watching this that's, yes i did see a lot of that that's what we want. but using that as a natural transition as uh-huh. we say in the biz segue some people normal people say <laughs> um game of thrones finale eh eh is that but, your thought on it? <laughs> no, it's me offering oh, you, oh, okay. offering to you the floor for your opinion. And I will say this: I thought it was okay. I also thought it was okay. I think that the the first half of the finale, which again spoilers for the final season of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. um, uh, that's a spoiler. I sign. thought that first half was really well done, really interesting. Even though the again spoiler death of Daenerys was. Again, quick, like her whole arc just felt very rushed yeah. uh, this whole season. I think that's like very um, clear with that moment in particular. And then the last half, I was like, okay, we just got to tie up loose ends. We're going to propose a democracy. Uh, yeah, you know, scoffed at. Get scoffed at. Uh, Edmund Tol- Edmund Tolley jumps up here uh, mm-hmm. like Kevin from The Office. And he's like, what do I want from a boss? Yes. What do I <laughs> want? And they're just like, no, sit down. You, you are dumb. Uh, he's like, okay. Um, and then, did I want Bran to be on the throne by the end of it? No, not really. So um, dumb. It was doesn't make a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, it's just like, okay. What? Like, not like, what's the point? Like, I wasted eight years of my life because I didn't, you know, I only caught up like two years right. ago. We loved six seasons of right. it. Right. And so, like, even though I don't think season eight delivered on everything, I would have liked it to. I still think there are good moments in there um, with, you know, uh, Brienne riding Jamie's, you know, whole book of like what he did. I was like, okay, yeah. I, I like that moment. Touching. That's, that's a nice thing for them. She becomes head of the Kingsguard. Uh, Tyrion's basically the ruler now. I'm almost like, Bran can see everything. Did he orchestrate the whole thing for him to end up on the throne? That's what I'm unclear on. Right. Um, and if that's the case, I'm like, Bran, you kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like you just let all that happen, and then like, like he's made he's made it seem like he doesn't know the future, mm-hmm. but he can only like have a feeling of the future. Yep. But then he's like, that's why I'm here. And you're like, screw you, Bran. Yeah, that like, like really. That was a very like millennial thing. Like, oh, you're so entitled to the throne in your mind. You're like, I came here because I know mm-hmm. it's for me. Or right, like I figured you were gonna do this, or like all my master plans. Yeah. So Like I think that kind of comes down to the line of like, George. Like they really only got outcomes, and they're just sort of like. We'll figure yeah. it out. How we'll figure it out because George didn't have it figured out quite yet at that no. point when they took over. Do, do you think that uh, again tangent for Game of Thrones that earlier in the season when like Tyrion and Bran have like that conversation that mm-hmm. we don't see what's happening? Any way that Bran told him the whole master plan and that Tyrion like was left alive so that he could come out there and make Bran the ruler so Tyrion could be the uh... de facto king of. The Six Kingdoms? No, I don't think so. I think he was just sort of just like Bran being like, so man, life is crazy. Probably. And then starts like, <laughs> takes a drag and then like tells him like all about his adventures. And yeah. then, so that's why Tyrion's like, this guy, stories are powerful, him. Yeah, I think that's probably right. But I was like, that just seems so odd that like they have this very like clear, let's talk about everything that's happened to you. Mm-hmm. Cut away. Right. Explain to me your powers. Cut away. Yeah. Mm, okay. And it's like, I don't know. I would have loved to have heard Brant, like, that conversation. Oh, yeah. This this season just probably, like, 
what it left out. John going north. You called that. I knew, yeah, I kind of figured it was yeah. going to happen. They seemed like the whole entire season they were setting it up. I just wish he had done it under, done it under his own volition. Yeah. Rather than being the Grey Worm, Grey Worm suddenly giving orders and like having a whole faction. Also, I don't buy that Grey Worm wouldn't have killed. Like he, like if John walks, I'd be like, "Hey, by the way, I just stabbed Daenerys and mm-hmm. Drogon took her away." <laughs> you, Grey Worm's just like, "Okay, cool, let's arrest you and Tyrion." No, right. Grey Worm just murdered a bunch of people for Daenerys. He's gonna kill John right there too. Uh huh. Yeah. Like, come on. Um, and then f- final thing, real quick here, but. Drogon toasting the throne, uh, a little on, a very on the nose actually. Yeah. Um, but you know, fine. It's do you fine. think? Do you think he did it to burn the allegory, or do you think he did it to like be like sharp object, sharp object, uh, set of the fire? <laughs> I, I think it's. I don't think it's the second one. I think that's a great explanation that it, that the internet has come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, like I love the Shakespearean memes that like you've seen these where like they like put all these like really. Um, really austere language from Drogon speaking to John, like about why he's doing what he's about to do, and then like flies away. <laughs> <laughs> now, so they fly away. Arya sails off uh, to the west of Westeros. Uh, Sansa, you know, makes uh, Winterfell its own nation again, and Queen of the North. Uh, Queen of the North. Bran rules the, six, the remaining six kingdoms. You know, all these kind of loose ends are still kind of out there. Yeah, and you know, Tyrion and John are like, all right, well. Probably goodbye. He's like, yeah, we'll see in ten years. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're gonna get a Game of Thrones sequel series at any point? Sequel movie no. with this cast back? Too dark. There's no. I mean, not too dark. Just there's too much going there. It's sort of like you that you left it all vague because you have no clue what to do. And they re, I mean reuniting Kit Hare and Kinner Peter Dinklage. I'm like, I'm sure they're gonna be like, oh, yeah, screw you guys. Like, no, thank you, HBO. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there is a like a 50-50 chance that we're getting some sort of Game of Thrones reunion thing in 10, 10 or less years from now with this cast back. Be like, and here's what else has happened. That would be crazy. Because, like, you know, a lot of these people probably want to go on to do other TV shows or whatever, but, you know, it's going to be very hard to replicate the success of Game of Thrones for any of them. And, you know, maybe they want that big payday again from HBO. You don't think so. Richard Madden's got it? I know, I'm not saying him. Like I'm like you know, like Kit Harrington and uh, Maisie Williams and Sophie Turner and uh, Amelia Clark. She flew off with Drogon. Maybe there's a way for her to be brought back. I don't know. There's just I feel like there's so many like ways that they could bring it back. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, eh. I don't buy the HBO exec who said, "Oh no, we're never you know, spinning this off." I'm like, baloney. They'd have to get R. R. Martin to sign off though. Yeah, I'm sure he would. Probably. <laughs> like, hey, here's a couple more million dollars. You know, you want to? Can we? Make more of your stuff? Sure. Mm-hmm. Either way. Yes. I think that's enough Game of Thrones stuff. For we sure. We need to move on. And uh, before we get to our view of Aladdin, Josh, uh, did you watch anything else this week? I actually did for the first time, and I'm so happy that you asked because okay. Netflix dropped two, three movies this weekend. Uh-huh. They dropped like 100 movies every year. But I caught The Perfection, which okay. stars Allison Williams and Logan Browning um, as these prodigy celloists. Shallowists. Mm-hmm. I have no clue. What I, think the, it's a, I think it's a cello. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and it turns into like a twisted serial killer cross country journey. Um, with, I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything here, but it is vile and eerie all the way through. I haven't felt this creeped out since I saw the first trailer for us. 
and it is exceptional. Um, check it out. Uh, it's directed by Richard Shepard, who has done some Twilight episodes, The Wonderkind. Um, and so, like, he's just really pushing for it in this. And it is, I don't know if it's his directorial debut or not. Um, his director credits are a mess. But <laughs> they are really good. I mean, the movie is really good. Go check it out. One of the finer things on Netflix um, this weekend, but also this year. So Okay. Good to know. Um, I also watched a Netflix thing this week. Mm. The uh, ex, What is it called? The Unconventional Experience of the Bash Brothers or whatever. Uh, by oh, Lonely Island. Yes. It's hilarious. Go check it out. Um, but it's not what I'm here to talk about. Um, you'll also find a review of Brightburn on the site uh, from me, which I quite enjoyed. It's not up yet as we're recording, so that's why, Josh, you're surprised right now. Uh, but it will be up uh, by the time the episode drops. I, I made very plans much enjoyed to go it. see it tonight, so uh, I'm excited. It, it is, it, I've, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with it um and other than that i don't think i watched anything else brightburn though give me give me a okay, hint okay. here give, come on okay i mean it's it is exactly what the trailers are selling you on yes. so if you are wanting to this dark evil violent uh story of what happened what would happen if superman went evil as a teenager that is what you're going to get with this movie it's very bloody there are some very very gory moment that i was like shocked to see them like pull off with you know very low budget but uh-huh. they were they were very creepy uh jackson a dunn is the the main kid lead i thought he was very good and like a limited like but it i think it really just does a lot with its very simple premise and you know it's not going to be my you know my top 10 of the year or anything but i thoroughly enjoyed it uh, i think it's for the most part pretty well directed and there's a really clever i thought subversion on what i thought was like a very clear oh okay this is a very obvious foreshadowing of how this is going to wrap up in some way mm. and it was not that way good like, okay i'm glad so there's some cleverness to it um and yeah if you want that dark gory superman this is it perfect so uh we also both saw aladdin this week we did not the 1992 animated movie the no. 2019 live action remake from disney uh directed by guy Ritchie and I'll just kick things off here um, with, as I have a review up on our website, friendsfilm.wordpress.com, which says it is a big, delightful musical because uh, I think that's really what this ultimately is. And the def- the detractors of this movie with these Disney live action remakes are always going to be, what does it bring new to the table, if anything? And admittedly, Aladdin doesn't bring a lot new. I mean, there's like there's one new song. There are some improvements upon in the characters and their backstories that get fleshed out due to the um, added runtime of this film that's just over two hours long. Um, but for the most part, this is a lot of what we've already seen. But that's, at least for me, that's what I wanted from this one in particular. You know, like a movie like Dumbo or whatever, like I don't really care about that anime movie, mm-hmm. but I love the classic uh, animated Aladdin film. So to see it given this like reinvention on the big screen with these big, beautiful colors, these big, um, yeah. elaborate song and dance sequences and great new leads. Uh, I really enjoyed my time. Naomi Scott, I thought, the character than the previous version of the character did. So I was happy on that front, but also... Scott is just Jasmine um, is well-intentioned, but feels oddly just like copying here. It doesn't feel like it totally fits within like the flow of the film itself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he seems like a guy who's poised to do bigger things moving forward. Cool. Same with Scott and of, you know, Robin Williams who made the original genie so iconic. Um, but I think Will Smith did a Robin Williams character, but then also just giving him, you know, 
giving the genie the Will Smith flair yes. and style and charisma that yeah. he has. And I really enjoyed his take on it. Um, again, the songs are fantastic. Did he become genie to you? Yeah, I think he Good. did. I mean, yeah, he's not, th- he's not, oh, it's, it's the Robin Williams genie, but I think he became the Will Smith genie and yes. that's all you can ask for um, in this case. And other than that, I mean, I think the, Jafar was a little bit of a weaker take this time around because he's not as creepy as he is in the anime movie for mm-hmm. good reason. Cause that's a somewhat, problematic translation to make based on the you know the you know the 60 year old guy you know fawning after you know uh, very young jasmine in the original and being like oh now he's just like a con man and i think marwin um kanzari does like a fine job with that role but i just wish there was a little more like menace behind him because he's more seemed like a guy who was looking for power not just like you know driven mad by it which i think is one of the great appeals of Jafar as a villain in the original movie. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I think the movie's well-paced. It's big. It's colorful. Um, and it's a recommendation for me, four ticket stubs out of five. Wow, okay. Well, fantastic. Yeah, I can't. I want to hit, hit on those things. It's leads of the movie. Naomi Scott and Mina Masood are phenomenal. Mina particularly so because I've not really seen him act. Mm-hmm. I've seen him be a character who hands papers to John Krasinski once or twice. Right. Um, I think he gives a presentation with some great PowerPoint um, in Jack Ryan. But like you said, ultra charismatic he is Aladdin and um, he just like, there's a moment where he just kind of like smiles like right into the camera and I, I don't think he winked but it felt like he did. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is this is the guy. This is the cat, you know, or whatever the case is. And I dug it. It was groovy and all the way through. So like all of those moments that he's in, he's He's shouldering, he shoulders the weaker parts of the movie and the weaker parts of the movie, him and both, Naomi Scott both, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to your point on her song, um, the, the added one, the new one, I, be- I believe it's new. Yeah, it's, okay. the, it's yeah. the only new song. It felt like a, like you said, it didn't feel like it came out organically. It felt like a copy and paste feminism moment. They're like, yeah. do you want to be a ruler sometime? Yeah, of course. And then they're like, okay, we'll put this in later. It's, 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 I don't know. It, she could have... Done, they could have done some more work with her character mm-hmm. completely through to help make that feel more impactful, especially too, because they added 45 minutes to the runtime. Yeah. So I'm like, and yet none of it was for her. It was, um, but these two do a good enough job alongside of a random Billy Magnuson moment, a few, <laughs> which uh, when I saw him in the opening credits, I was like, he's in this movie? Yeah. Where does that fit? But as the Prince of Finland, <laughs> Just diehard hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, they just shoulder it all until we get to Will Smith. And then that's where the movie really kind of ignites. Um, he brings in the two most flashiest dance numbers. Um, the the latter, my favorite, um, Prince Ali, feeling really Bollywood-esque mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, with, like you said, popping colors. It really made it feel like you were... Every, we were in the cartoon again. Like that was the vibrance that they got and brought out. And I love that part mm-hmm. of it and brought it as close as I think you possibly could. But when all those things die down, it's just kind of like a typical CG story in a lot of ways. Um, there's the opening um, where you, you were kind of swooped through the city, Guy Ritchie style. Mm-hmm. But you know, it do much at the end, but I'll give it three and a half out of, I mean, yeah, uh, three out of probably the, the greatest part of the movie um just like he is coming along after his performance is witty and eccentric and just so larger than himself but also still will smith you know because mm-hmm. will smith is that larger life and right. figure and so i think he he brought it and got it i mean there's there's nothing more funny than him you know curled up 
looking into Mina and the dude's eyes, like just yeah, like you know, wanting to know well, about tell the me girl. your dreams. <laughs> yeah, let, let tell me your dreams. Tell me about the girl. What's she like? And that was like so funny and so sweet. And then his whole slide plot of like you know trying to become uh, the girlfriend or like the the wingman for um, Aladdin while he's you know uh, going after Jasmine is too good. So that's where I land on it. Um, it is a it is a magic carpet ride, but there's just it's it just felt like you said a copy and paste in some parts of it but it's not magical enough it's not magical enough okay not 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 in a new way a lot of it just felt like oh of course they had to do that you know type of those things so. okay um so transitioning to spoiler territory for aladdin i mean again like you've kind of mentioned it's if you've seen the original you mm-hmm. know what to expect with this one but just kind of going off of what you were just saying um i think that's really the two differing you know viewpoints with these disney live action remakes so you when when you're going into one of these you want to see something new and fresh and not just like a adaptation of what came before yeah that's why i kind of liked i liked dumbo Uh more than i think most people did or i mean i think dumbo was received fairly well Mm -hmm. but because it felt like a a newish story okay a lot of ways um here like all the plot points lined exactly up with the way I thought or like mm-hmm. the way I figured with like innovations on or, or innovations like divergences from two parts Jasmine becoming Sultan um, to change the laws mm-hmm. and then going to go marry Aladdin and then Jafar getting thrown in prison and then getting out of prison and then that's all like and then he didn't cause a lava storm you know in the middle right. of <laughs> Agrabah so like that's the only like real deviation in a lot of ways um but yeah, no, I mean, it just felt like a, a rehashing of Aladdin for copyright sake. Yeah, I mean, I think that's prop. I mean, but it I is mean, new. Yeah, it it's, is it's, different. It's definitely a cash grab in a sense of like Disney knows, listen, Aladdin is one of their most beloved anime, animated films of all time. There, It has a very strong, um, dedicated following at this point. And, you know, I think our generation or our age range of people like in their like mid to late twenties mm-hmm. really have a very deep affection for this, for that original film. Yeah. And so those people are going to go out to see it. The younger generation is going to go out to see it and the movie's going to make over like $200 million worldwide uh, on its opening weekend. So like, it's going to be a hit financially for them. So that's obviously why they're making it. Um, but for me, I guess I diff, I like somewhat differ in that regard of just like, you know, I, like the anime i love the anime movie and now that we're getting this new take on it like i don't think it's totally like, like i don't think it's like oh this is just like so blatantly uninteresting or like not creative because it's just playing off of what happened before because then you could just say the same thing about book adaptations comic adaptations mm-hmm. uh, remakes of other movies like i think that just like goes on a lot it just point at anyway oh well that's just a deviation on what this other movie did 25 years ago sure so i think there's only like so much you can do and i mean i guess maybe it's just like well then disney shouldn't make these at all if they're not willing to Mm -hmm. do something that different from what came before but for what they're doing i think like aladdin in a lot of ways shows the strengths and the weaknesses of them um with i think the strengths and the ability to change small things small aspects of the film to improve upon it um, is is where it's at its best. Yeah, and I'll agree with that. I think that's a great point right there. There is good with the bad. The good is it needs to be a mass appeal PG mm-hmm. film for wide audiences. The other thing is they got Will Smith yeah. <laughs> to show up and do Never Had a Friend Like Me in this 
bigger than life way mm-hmm. out, um, you know, out in front of the city gates, you know, and for like him, like, like, come on, Sultan, come on, Sultan, yeah, give, us come on. give us the tap. We're waiting on you, waiting yep. on you. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And then like drops into like semi, like, you know, hip hop style yeah, there. It dro- yeah, it drops the beat. He's, and- yeah, he's waiting for the Sultan to kick off the beat drop. That's, that's great. Like, and that's the style and attitude. But then there's this another part of it where it's just so straightforward, like, I don't know, like there's the craft, there's a craft that's lost. And like when you have like a like a filmmaker like Guy Ritchie who does um, Sword in the Stone or King Arthur. Yeah, King the, Arthur. That King the Arthur, movie? the Sword in the Stone. Thank you. Yeah, oh, that's right. Because it was set up to be like a seven film franchise. Right. Um, you have him in that movie doing all of his innovative and fun things, you know, mm-hmm. while still in the big budget realm. Here, all of that is just compressed to playing it safe and on the entire way through and aside from the opening moments of the movie um you just lose you lose i think you lose basically all craft Mm -hmm. up until the very end with the credit sequence and the one take almost one take i think there may be one swish pan in there maybe possibly because when they flip to the car um aladdin doing the flute breakdown with the flying carpet there but then you get like a whole dance number, and that, that's kind of what I wanted out of this movie. Uh-huh. As it went on, I'm like, let's, let's just get more of the vibe of Agrobah rather mm-hmm. than like the magical moments of it, I guess, or just like the, the those bigger parts mm-hmm. of it. But cave of like the cave of wonders was a part where like this is almost too real. Like I don't know, I wanted the colors to pop. I wanted that. You want gold you wanted the big, you know, piles and billions piles. upon billions worth of dollars of yes. gold coins and treasures and all that kind of stuff. I, at times, I was like let me let me see more surrealness to this, uh-huh. and that didn't come about. Okay. So like, I, guess it was, I mean, as a Disney movie, not let down, but mm-hmm. it just like let's just let's like make it a little more eccentric, I suppose. Okay. What's your favorite Disney live action remake? Quote unquote. I, honestly. I don't know. I think the Jungle Book, I think, is the highest I've ever rated on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But weirdly enough, like Aladdin, I enjoyed, I think, I enjoyed well enough. But I think, you know, re- adjusting for the technology that blew me away in right. Jungle Book, maybe they land kind of at the same spot in terms of just like what they do in overall, overall feels, I mm-hmm. suppose, and things like that. So but it's again, not Maleficent. <sighs> so I know you're a I, fan I, of that I movie. am a stand of Maleficent, yeah. And I just watched, yeah, and then I saw the trailer for Mr. Savivo. Mm-hmm. I've got so many questions about that movie. We didn't <laughs> talk about it on the show. But, yeah, I think it would, I think they would all tie up with Maleficent with the Edge because it does that ultimate subversion okay. and how it just plays on, let's tell, like, a family story here. Mm-hmm. Or let's, do some, let's actually show some love in here that's more believable and then gets around the tropes of prince princess movies. Okay. So then, like, going forward this year, you know, in two months, The Lion King comes out. Yeah, it like if that movie's because by all indications of the trailer, it's very it's staying very close to the original. Yes. So if that comes out and it's like a lot of that same beats, but it's added thirty minutes of the runtime to give you more interactions of Timon and Pumbaa and Simba or Simba and Nala or um, with Scar and um, why am I blanking on Dad's name Mufasa? Like if they like just. Add on thirty minutes of runtime. Give Nala a new sequence, so you know Beyonce can show her chops. Mm-hmm. Is I, are we going to be in the same boat then? Where you're like, you know, it's fine, but like I did, I still didn't need this. Yeah, that's a great question because like you've already, I've already felt the feelings of the first original Lion King mm-hmm. and those story points. Um, but this time around, it's going to be Donald Glover and Beyonce with uh, 
with Chuo Teleshi for Billy yes. Eichner, Seth Rogen. Thank you. With John Oliver popping up as um, yeah. the Toucan, uh, whatever his name is. You know, all of those things. So I don't know how, like, it'll, it'll, it'll all happen in the moment. Mm-hmm. But if it moves just like kind of like Aladdin did, I'll kind of like walk away and be like, that was an exciting retelling of Lion King. Mm-hmm. But is it, you know, something that really wows me other than the updated, you know, um, effects? Because I guess it's technically an animated. This one's going to be technically an animated movie all the way through. Yes. Um, we need to, like, define that. I think that's, I think John Favreau said it's technically an animated movie. It's a realistic animated film. Yeah. What the, like, yeah, you need to, like, find a place for that. But I don't know. I I think I would probably come up with, like, I enjoyed that more or as much as because my feelings for Lion King are probably stronger than Aladdin, mm-hmm. you know, overall. Yeah. But then again, if Donald Glover's mixing beats for this new one, along with like Will Smith's renditions mm-hmm. of Never Had a Friend Like Me and Prince Ali, like those will be things that I keep jamming to just because they're more in line with today. Okay. But I just don't know if they're something better or like, or like should I should treat them better. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense. No, it makes sense. Um, I guess going back to Aladdin. Where where, okay, yeah. Oh, sorry. Real quick, though. Where would you, for yourself, on that and then get us back to Aladdin? Um, for me, I, I think it just goes back to kind of my stance on Aladdin and, you know, Beauty and the Beast, Jungle Book, you know, all the other past Disney remakes. Yes. Where, um, I ultimately, I think, just want, like... You know, this, I guess you could put me in the problem of, well, you're the reason why Disney's making these movies because you're mm-hmm. going to go out and see these and you're going to enjoy them. And you're like, yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the same story with uh, 2019, 2020, 2021, whatever year it comes out, you know, VFX paint on it, new leads, and, you know, a couple of new additions here. But I still think, like, I don't, I do not have a problem with that, you know, approach. And, like, if they can recapture a lot of that style and that magic and those characters, then that's ultimately what I'm here for. It's no different than, you know, I loved reading the first Hunger Games. I loved reading the Hunger Games trilogy. And I loved all of those movies because they brought to life those that story in a new way. Mm-hmm. And even though we're still in the movie medium, yeah, it's a different look. There are differences to them. Um, so it's not like, you know, if they were literally doing shot for shot, line by line, yeah. nothing is changing. Mm. I would be like, okay, I'd be in that same of like, why are we doing this? Like, there's nothing beneficial. But like, this version, we're getting an updated version of Jasmine where she's not just like, you know, some damsel in distress princess who just like, you know, wants to be free for the sake of it. Like, she wants to be out with her people so she can like know how they're living their lives. That way, when she becomes Sultan, she knows how to take care of them. Yes. And like, she is a much better version of that character than what we got in the previous movie. So like, I am happy to see like this movie come out to give people, to give younger audiences who, who haven't seen the original 1992 movie, Mm -hmm. have this be their Jasmine and be like, she's great. She is, she knows what she, she wants. She's confident. And now she's the ruler and she's not, you know, the queen of Agrabah. She is the Sultan. For sure. And to that point, I will say, I did see this with my um, younger sister, my youngest sister, actually. And I was like, oh, kind of indifferent to it. But there's a lot of like, you know, really zany Will Smith stuff. So I loved it. But she's like, I loved all of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, okay. And I'm like, have you seen the original Aladdin? She's like, no, I haven't. But I kind of knew the gist of it. But like, him setting genie free at the end. She's like, I, I didn't think he, I thought he could, but I didn't think he would. Like she didn't treat that as like a foregone conclusion. Right. And so there, I, I think I do see, um, some of those shades of what you're saying there, mm-hmm. like kind of in her reaction is like, it's 
more approachable than jumping back to the other. Right. So for that, for that, it's fair. I'll agree with that. Um, I mean, is there anything else you really need to get into about Aladdin? I mean, did you like the, the framing device change where like, you know, in the original movie, we start off with that merchant voiced by Robin Williams. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, he's free and he's let go. And some people theorize since then, it's like, well, Robin Williams voicing the market guy and obviously genie is that genie telling the story to, you know, prospective buyer or whatever to sell up his stuff. Um, and I, so I like the twist that now it's Will Smith as a human yes. being with Nassim Pajad, who was hilarious in the movie. Uh, I must, I really liked her character, um, as well. Um, I like that. I like that twist of that. He's just like a regular guy. And he's telling his kids this magical adventure mm-hmm. that he went on before. Yeah, that that was that was a terrific little thing where he just, he got he got to be a person at the mm-hmm. end rather than just like an all powerful genie who just floats yeah, around. Yeah, now, now you're free. Now you can go to Disney World wherever you're gonna go. <laughs> yes, is that yeah, is that that's not where he like goes in the I second one. I think that's one? where they're alluding to at the end of the first one. Where it looks like he has like the goofy hat on and that's right. Um, Oh, that's yeah. right. It gets really meta mm-hmm. in that moment. It gets there's a there's a moment here where Carpet is in the background make, creating the Magic Kingdom. Did you ever spot that? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did where see the, that. he does, he tosses the dust over mm-hmm. in the um the the, the, the the shooting star arc, I think. Oh, I, did, I didn't is. catch that detail. Yeah, because he, he's got the castle in the back. And then he goes whoosh, and like <laughs> he does, it does the whole thing right there. And I was like, of course, of course, of course. I was waiting for like you know Will Smith or somebody to like. Be, like Will Smith to become like another Disney character, like a caricature of like, uh, like I don't know, Captain America or something, <laughs> or pull like hot dogs. You didn't like pull hot dogs from the future or anything like that. I mean, he makes a reference to Rambo at the end. Uh, I guess that's what I've been told. I haven't seen any of the Rambo movies, so this <clears throat> is Cooper. They're actually called First Blood. That's what the first one's called. I think we've been over this before. Yeah. The first one's called First Blood. The second one's called Rambo First Blood Part Two. I didn't know this. Then it's Rambo like... Three, and then it's Rambo. Four or no Rainbow Four hasn't come out yet. No Rainbow Four has come three. out. What's the what's the Rainbow? Maybe it is just Rainbow. I think 4. it's just Rainbow. That's right. It is just Rainbow. And then this new one's coming out later this year, supposedly. He finally did his self-titled album, Rambo: <laughs> The Last Stand, or whatever mm-hmm. it's called. Um, Billy Magnuson. What were your thoughts on him? Uh, he was great. Not enough screen time. Uh, that's probably not true, honestly. Because like, like, if I would have had more of him, I'd have uh, been like. That's enough. Honestly, I would have just—I would have paid to. Have, I, I would take a sequel of this movie where Billy Magnuson and his father comes to town and they actually compete over Jasmine's love or something like that. That—that oh, that would have been a terrific like. I just gotta say, have it be like franchise, Alex, oh, and I would have been on it. Did you see Longshot? Yes. Did we yes. review Longshot? We did review Longshot. Okay, I couldn't on remember. Um, it'd be great if that was the case, and then Alexander Skarsgård is like, <laughs> or like instead of being like his father, it's like his like distant cousin mm-hmm. and now they're like both like competing for the finland throne now like that jasmine terrific <laughs> we are here to woo you and she's like nah i'm good yeah, like i would take a franchise spawn from aladdin rather than like a you know like this film in particular just like run with these characters because i already care about them now so let's do that so you'd want to see a sequel yeah absolutely that doesn't tell any of those dumb ones that disney did back in like the 90s i think return of jafar from what i remember was like you know fun and I like, I like Prince of Thieves. King of Thieves. One? King of Thieves. Yeah, they're about they're finally gonna get married and then Aladdin's dad's mm-hmm. like, I'm not dead. <laughs> We're already past that point. And so. then you have to say open sesame to get into his secret base. Interesting. Yeah, we are past that. Uh, yeah, but I, I think that's you know, that is where we're at and uh yeah. I would sure, I mean Mina if, could uh definitely hold down one of those new Star Wars movies though. That's for sure. Uh like if that's not, what I felt. If not that I've, for a while, I've had this thought of him as, like, Nova in the MCU. Mm. 
I don't know why, but I was just like, okay, I can see that. But then he's also Egyptian, and he could be like Moon Knight. Oh, and dude, he looks like, like a reporter. Like, the, well, not only that part, but just like, I didn't know, like, I don't know if he has like dance training or stunt training or whatever, like in his past, because he clearly did that for this movie. But like, there's like some stuff he's he's pulling off here, and like that dance sequence where he's like wooing Jasmine. Was that all him? I don't know, okay. but like, a lot of it looked like it was, and whether. It, the backflip was all him or whatever. He at least has the choreography down, but then like when he like does that spinning like thing where he like jumps in between like the mm-hmm. two buildings and uses his back and his leg to like oh, so 360. Cute. I was like, that's like really cool. Yeah. And then he does like something similar in like the ice. Um, I was just like, okay, like I don't know how much of this actually is Mina, but like if part of that is he's pulling it off and like Moon Knight's a guy who needs uh, like a physicality to him, not necessarily the charm. So that'd be a little interesting angle for him to take instead of being like this charismatic guy being this guy who's like losing his mind yeah um different take for mina but you know whether it's in the mcu star wars dc like whatever like naomi scott and mina uh yeah their chemistry is off the charts they're both phenomenal and uh maybe this will you know gear up in power rangers too we'll get that going now that naomi scott's on top of the world again <laughs> so uh anything else we have to say here about aladdin will you watch it again uh, yeah, I, I will probably watch it at least one more time. Okay. I don't think I need another dose of it after this, but there's some good performances and enough to warrant, like, no, especially returning to a friend like me and Prince Ali. Have you just been listening to the soundtrack a lot? I listened to friend like me on the way over here. It's a great soundtrack. It is great. I, I really like how they're the, you know, again, it's the, it's the same thing with the rest of the movie. The songs are the same songs, you know, and love, but they're just like slightly different and slightly not improved upon, but like they're new and fresh and like they like they're still good. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, that is all we have to say on Aladdin. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. Now try your best to stay calm. Brush up your Friday salon. Then come and meet a spectacular coterie. And we're back with the news, and it's also going to start with our three main topics this week, starting with Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, because there were a bunch of new images and some uh interesting details that dropped from the vanity fair spread of the film josh uh what image in particular really stood out to you you can only choose one the battle on top of the death star in the ocean yep same too dang cool and then i think like i saw another ancillary image from this of like behind the set photos Uh of ridley out there on like you know the carnage of death star 2 and i was like I cannot wait for the next trailer because it is gonna. It, that's gonna be the center point. Like, oh yeah, it's gonna be the finale. Like part of it. collide. Da da da. Rise yeah. of Skywalker theme. Kylo Ren. <laughs> dun dun. So that that was where I was. I. Where were you? I also. That was the image. I was like, this image is great. Okay. At pick first, a different one. At first, I thought it was the Millennium Falcon they were fighting on, though. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, did, like they like crashed the Falcon. Now like it's Kylo and and. Uh, Ray on top of he wants like, his parents' car, right? Like, he's like, he's like, give me, give me my dad's ship back, and she's like, no, he gave it to me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I think Chewie technically owns it. I think, I mean, I think so too. But like, you know, he offered to like have her come aboard. So like, oh, that's true. 
I maybe would, she would, has like partial claim to the throne. I need, I need, a, I need a book that explains these things. <laughs> yeah, we need, we need to know like, all right, who's who's in line uh-huh. to get the Falcon what next? The, what, <laughs> yes. what is the hierarchy? We have a reading of Han Solo as well. Exactly, <laughs> um, but if I can't choose that one, yes, the other one for me that just from a visual visual perspective, I was like this is cool, mm-hmm. is the shot of Carrie Russell's character, uh, Zori something. I should have written down her name. But I just really love her costume design uh, with like the all-purple look, this like gold, like slicked-back helmet. I was like, she's like, it's visually very stunning. And uh, again, we don't know much about her character Then she's like some sort of the smuggler. Um, but she looks awesome. Um, you know, like, you know how her code name, character name was Mara Jade? Uh-huh. Like her costume outfit, uh, all but you know, kind of screams the actual Star Wars Legends canonical character, not canonical, but character of Mara Jade. Those purples. All right. That is her character all the way through. So if it ends up being true, that's gonna be absolutely wild. Mara Jade was famously a smuggler. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That's very interesting. <laughs> Works for Talagarad. I, I still think um, that because her name is Zori Bliss, so it could again because that could be her smuggler name. <laughs> uh, perhaps, 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 perhaps. I still think if we're go, because I don't think we're going to get a literal Mara Jade. You know, here she is, and she was Luke Skywalker's wife for all these years, and nobody knew about her thing. I don't know anymore. But I think what I mentioned before is that, like, if we, if that is the the vision for the character, mm-hmm. that she is like a Force user in the past who you know, has a connection to them and now is brought into the uh, mm-hmm. you know the main plot. Mark Hamill, it was a joke made, but Mark Hamill went out of his way to be like, Luke didn't die a virgin, y'all. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, but, uh, Alec, we got details and more, well, right? Actually, on that point real quick. Yeah. Um, the planet that Zori Bliss is on mm-hmm. is like this very dark, kind of snowy yes. uh, planet. And it looks like that same one from the teaser trailer that we're all like, what's that? very lit up city that that plane that that ship is flying into mm-hmm. people have also been like that ship's the same one of that that left jakku when ray was there as a child and now you're just bringing okay well you know luke didn't die virgin mara jade comparisons is it really is there any chance i've never that caught- we're actually getting k russell is quote-unquote mara jade but that she's ray's mother I have not went after that specific thing. I'm going to have to Google Ray's vision, probably mid-conversation here. Okay. <laughs> um, but possibly? I don't know. I'll have to take a look at those ships, but I don't think there would be any connection. No, I think it's it's one of those things where I think people are probably reading too much into it. Like, okay, well, this ship's both have two thrusters so they must be the same it's like or star wars is angular a design giant galaxy and you know maybe they also mass produce these ships <laughs> and there's not like you know this is the one ship that looks like this you know there's probably thousands of them out there yeah so, it, it very much looks like a stock cruiser in a lot of ways that's for sure um but also i mean there's some very fine blue details on there okay let me just take a look at that skywalker trailer <laughs> i don't know i that's just the vamp for me while the, like that whole theory of that like the uh ship that was flying into that planet was the same one from the vision's been around since like right after the trailer dropped and so now that you're mentioning well, all these kind of subtle connections to mara jade and luke and i think that is it's worth discussion at this point you know still you know six months out seven months out from the movie um very quickly they're not subtle there's certainly something they're invoking um so i'm looking at the both cruisers here now mm-hmm. there are some similarities but if you had to put money on it would you 
put a hundred dollars on that it is the same ship or not oh man that's so close it's the, it's the thruster distance that you need to pay attention mm-hmm. to but i would i would say uh, no okay i don't think so um i i'll say this i think it is the same ship that her parents are from here but that uh zori is not ray's mom okay and that's instead, very possible because her because what kylo says that her parents are filthy junk traders mm-hmm. you know gave her off for alcohol and you know if this is like a smuggler's planet that zori bliss is on and like is on maybe that's like where her parents are also from and that way so zori know like knew her parents her knows of ray and like it's like oh well here like these are who your parents actually are and that's how we learn more about it without and now we've introduced her mother and now she's part of the movie plot <laughs> yeah we'll see um but yeah th- I w- it was not lost on me to like join speculation but like those are all very similar things, <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, Carrie Russell's wearing a helmet, and like, if you once you sight her hair, um, if it's not brown, if it's red, if it's red, you can just go full forward with it. But I don't think we see her hair until, you know, the film comes out. And if that's the case, that's probably a good reason why. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because like you probably want to like if you want like and by the way, Carrie Russell's movie, who's like again not a household A list star by any means, but like she's known enough. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, oh, Carrie Russell's in this movie to get those like the fans of the Americans in this movie to come to check it out, you know, you'd probably want to show her face. And unless they're going to do something where, like the front of her helmet like comes off like Iron Man style, it's like and now he's just Carrie Russell's face and like you hide the roots of her hair. Right. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> what interesting. Yeah, we don't see her face until the movie. That's Probably not. Sure. Uh, we I mean there's a photo of uh, Finn and Jana riding on these alien horses that oh, looked uh, yeah. uh, pretty cool. Uh, it do you think that's like, like an opening set piece, an ending set piece of like ending set piece? Giant yes. all-out war. Yeah, they're riffing off of like she's supposed to be native to the planet, I believe. Yes. So, yeah, we're going indoor style stuff again here. Like locals don't like you type of a thing, but it looks cool as heck. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Finn look so gallant. And Naomi Aki. I love that she's just like you know on the side of it, just like ready Dothraki to go. Yeah, really looks dope. Uh, then we also have confirmation. Finally, the Knights of Ren are in this movie. Um, and even the the one in the photo that's closest to the camera is holding this like you know the staff and like the symbol on top of it like is similar it appears to one that was in Solo a Star Wars story <laughs> that people have that. been pointing that out I don't know if that's gonna pay off by any means but oh the Knights of Ren are uh, you know in some ways tied to the what were they called the Crimson, Crimson Order Dawn. Crimson Dawn um, like I doubt that's gonna happen but that would be very that'd be fascinating if that was the case maybe the knights of ren you know destroyed crimson dawn weren't spears and staffs and star i mean it's the same design company they didn't think you'd notice right now we all we don't see and there's no mention of matt smith or dominic monahan no in uh press releases for being part of the cast in these photos or anything i thought monahan was spotted as like looking dressed up as a first order uh or resistance that was on the like leaked art stuff um yeah. which i think also had richard e grant as a you know a first order officer which he is in fact uh playing i'll and we'll get to that in a second but you know do you think matt smith is one of these knights of ren or is he a young palpatine or is he in the movie at all does he keep saying he's not <laughs> i think he's i don't know i you know a first order people are the knights of ren don't need names they don't need voices mm-hmm. they don't need faces matt smith is a waste of someone who's gonna get cut down in this movie 
Yeah. Really. Unless they just really want to go for a character like that. It's better than, because like there was that uh, promotional post that came out with like that big orange yellow slug on the mm-hmm. side. And I was like, oh boy. That just screams for, to me for somebody that, that too, like Masp is going to be voicing that character. That would be terrific, actually. <laughs> that like, would be him and his most zany. Yeah. I'd be all for it. So we'll see. Uh, and as I mentioned, we had Richard E. Grant. Uh-huh. Confirmation. He is Allegiant General Pride. So he's not Daddy Hux, Uncle Hux, um, as some people were maybe hoping he would be. Uh, but he is pictured with um, Donald Gleason. So... Are you excited that Richard E. Grant is going to be playing, you know, another villain in mm-hmm. the Star Wars franchise and teaming up with Hux in some way? He's good. Yeah, I am super excited about this because he's going to be he's going to he's going to be another personality to pair with Donald Gleason, who really went person. He got sidelined, but he also went for personality in the Last Jedi, so he'll get to be more expressive and have someone else like above him possibly, but or below him to riff off of or equal to him to riff off of and like bicker with and fight with, and you know get blown to smithereens with mm-hmm. during those final battles. That's for sure. And uh, then we also had a confirmation that the desert planet that we're seeing is Pasana. That is, that is the name of it. So we're not back on Tatooine. We're not back on uh, uh, Jakku. Mm-hmm. We're not back on what was the one in Rogue One? Um, Jedi. Jedi. Yeah. So this is another new sand planet for Star Wars. Fine by me. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Um and this is also where the Knights of Ren were pictured. So if this is tied to that, you know, that sequence of Rey standing there, the TIE fighter coming at her, uh, this is looks like it's going to be a very big set piece for the film. And probably in the middle? Probably in the middle. Or it's a five-act movie. Okay. Rising action, climax is their battle, falling action is Palpatine to deal with on outdoor. That's mm. what I'm feeling. That's what I'm feeling. So, if I remember correctly, when we did our, you know, last mm-hmm. last Jedi, yes, Rise of Skywalker trailer discussion with Amanda, yes. you guys were discussing how the moon of Endor that we see in mm-hmm. uh, Empire, not Empire, um, Return of the Jedi, is just the moon of Endor, and Endor is the name of the moon, correct? But then there's a it is a planet it's the forest moon of Endor, yes. Okay, but then the, there's a planet below it. Is there a chance that Posada is the planet below the moon of Endor. You know, I don't know official Star Wars canon. It's a forest moon named Endor, but it's in the Modell sector. Um, but that's about... No, no, no. Understand this. Endor is a gas giant planet, and it's the forest moon of it. Okay. So, no, Posada would be somewhere else. To... Okay. So, or could... I was say, could Posada be a... Desert moon, <laughs> possibly, yeah, absolutely. And so, like, they have to, they're going to all these different planets to see which remnants of the Death Star mm-hmm. landed on which planet, and which part has Palpatine's soul attached to it. Yeah, it's very possible. Um, but I, yeah, so the, yeah, there's there's the potential of visiting all sorts of different like forest moon planets. That's like interesting. That. But yeah, absolutely, because they could really they could really get like spacey with it. It'd be like the closer you are on those moons to the. The sun, mm-hmm. Endor 1 or Endor 2, it's a two-sun system, um, you could have that. So, yeah, yeah, that would be actually really cool. Like, where this all you converge on the system, and there's battles on multiple moons. That would be sweet. That would be sweet. Maybe Janice from one of them? We Possibly. Because don't, I don't know what planet she's on, unless she's also on that planet that the Death Star 2 is on. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of that same tall, grassy terrain 
um, right from this from that photo of her and Finn. So it, it, it's possible. Right. Um, and then there's also this photo I found very intriguing of Luke Skywalker yes. and R2-D2 together. And Luke is definitely not a force ghost in this photo. He is not. So there's two things here. One is this just because this is how it looks on set mm-hmm. <laughs> and he doesn't have that blue glow to him. Right. And that's the easy explanation. Or two is this a scene where Luke is in some form alive in the physical form, whether it's a flashback sequence or no one's ever really gone. The rise of Skywalker, all this stuff ties together to be not only Palpatine back, but Luke Skywalker's back. I think it has more to do with just how Ian Leibovitz shot everything. Like, we'll be cool. You stand in here with R2-D2 because we like you too. And then flames. I think all the other stuff is like accurate for the movie. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Um, well, in some ways, like a lot of like there are set photos very clearly. And then they're also very clearly like Leibovitz staged some things, mm-hmm. you know, like specific shoots, um, and you can kind of tell those apart. Yeah. Along with like Finn and uh, Lando, right? They're like that's a stage shot, right? Um, and then so on and so on. Uh, so I, I expect to believe it's just like Luke is in this movie. You'll see him, but I think it's very clear from the uh, teaser trailer that he's definitely gone, or he's he's just no longer able to um, have any physical desires or you know whatever because mm-hmm. i guess yoda taught us that they can actually you can interact with the physical can, world can, yeah you can interact with the physical world so interesting but i think he's definitely blue i i think that's pro- i think whether that's the case in this scene or not i think he is very likely not returning from the dead in this movie but the photo is interesting because uh, I don't think it's a, another flashback to when Kylo destroyed the Jedi Temple that Luke was training. Um, it looks like a different version of Luke. He looks older. Yes. Longer hair. Yes. R2's there, which Unless I mean, he was there before. Flow walking. Like, just like, you know, like, sort of like hodoring into the past, like Bran does, you okay. know, or warging into the past, <laughs> yeah. whatever the case is. That's a Jedi power that could be introduced. So, like, that's why I said, like, I mean, Kylo there's, the, there's well. the world between worlds, which was established in Star Wars that's Rebels. That's right. If they brought that into the movies, that would be insane. Because um, there's a lot of just bizarre implications that could come out of that. But uh, I don't know. I just, when I saw this photo, I was just like, it just made me think. I was like, man, if Luke comes, like, if he didn't actually die or he comes back to life and now we get, like, you know, old Luke reincarnated versus, like, mm-hmm. old Palpatine. <laughs> Like that could be very cool, but it could also like come off as like very like I have many questions. Strange and like forced, pun unintended, but also slightly pun. Yeah, intended. no, it would be, uh, yeah, it would for certainly be that. Um, but in addition to the photos, I mean, there were other things in here. Was like because there's a whole article from Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else from the either the photos or the article itself that stood out to you? No, I mean not really. The, the the feature piece is just sort of like can JJ do it, folks? Willie or won't he? And you know you get you just get JJ like Ryan Johnson was great. The Last Jedi was so groundbreaking. So I broke the ground too. And then you're like okay. And you think that you think that's just talk from JJ? No, I think it's I think he actually genuinely believes it. Like he's 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 been very consistent about his feelings and nobody's consistent about anything they say ever <laughs> i've changed my opinion on like this episode 20 times oh, so boy. you know we you go over three years i'm gonna have you're gonna be like pretty sure josh said he hated this movie twice and now it's his <laughs> favorite thing so 
but he's been remarkably consistent, so it's something he feels about. Um, and I think that was the most uplifting part to me. The other things are like, you know, what's Anthony, what's 3PO do? Like, it's so exceptional. Probably shuts the heck up or something. <laughs> I don't know. You know, um, that that's probably remarkable. Other than that, nothing else really made me say, wow, I wish I hadn't known that. Or mm-hmm. like, you know, that's it's just sort of hype for the film. Right. No, I, th- I mean, I think the, the Ryan Johnson thing where he was like, oh, you know, what Ryan did was so bold, it made me be more bold. I was like, okay, interesting if that's actually the case. But I just don't know. Like, I mean, yes, JJ's said all the right things publicly about Ryan Johnson and The Last Jedi, but we also don't know until we see the movie what he ultimately will do with everything that Ryan set up and tore down. Of course. Of course. It'll recontextualize everything. And like each Star Wars film does that to the others, mm-hmm. too, um, just in terms of how they're written and how they're made. There yeah. was an end goal basically after he got the green light for five and six. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he decided oh, that's episode four. That's up. And this will be episode five and then so on and so right. forth. Um, so you just have to connect the dots after the fact. You mm-hmm. can't connect them going forward. As Steve Jobs says. Correct. Um, and one thing real quick before we move on. Uh, I also really liked the stuff about Billy Lord saying, no, uh, keep those scenes with me and Leia in the film. So like, it's going to be mm-hmm. tough to watch, but it's also going to be very powerful, yeah. I think. so. Um, Billy, you've seen Booksmart. I have not oh, gotten to it yet. She Billy is Lord so is good. terrific in it, supposedly. She is so good. Okay, yeah. So hopefully, whatever. Um, I don't think she's going to be here. like Booksmart in, okay. in uh, The Rise of Skywalker, though. I think that if she does, that's a that's a big turn for her character, who I don't even know what her name is. No, I have no clue either. Um, but since you were mentioning that, you know, every Star Wars movie affects the others in some way or another, mm-hmm. we got word this week from BuzzFeed uh, News, potentially, that a new Star Wars movie slash trilogy is in the works from Lucasfilm, uh, where the outlet reported that Lita Calogrigis... Uh, is nearly completed a script for a Knights of the Old Republic movie for Lucasfilm. Uh, this would be a new trilogy if the first film was done correctly um, and the f- is the first film of the Disney era of Lucasfilm slash Star Wars to feature a female writer um, on its staff. So I think this is big news in a lot of ways, A, because of the hiring of Lita, um, but also we have a potential new trilogy or is this an actual no uh, this is like oh that she was actually writing the first installment of Beth Wise's movie or working with Ryan Johnson or uh, what are what are we thinking I don't know what to think it's such an odd it's not an odd such an odd thing but it's um it's a very you're we're getting very limited information old republic with Lita's name mm-hmm. and that's all we have really um she's absolutely an exceptional writer um seasoned smart i mean shutter island and uh i mean there's a lead of battle angel in there terminator genesis is i mean yeah, I don't the know. less we say about terminator genesis the better i don't think but... i don't think that suffered from script problems as much as just everything else right i mean yeah you mentioned shutter island a lead of battle angel that i was a fan of uh she did altered carbon which i know is kind of divisive but it means getting a second season so uh must be good stuff in there and uh yeah so with all that said I don't know. We really don't know. There's like 25 Star Wars projects up in the air. Uh, but like once we know what Benioff and Weiss are doing, and we keep saying Old Republic because it just seems like it makes sense. Um, but this project in particular and what the Old Republic, um, the, the old legend Old Republic things were about, were about the conflict between a massive army of Jedi, a massive army of Sith. Mm-hmm. And... 
particularly in the Vanity Fair article, J.J. Abrams says that this also brings into conflict the age-old conflict of um, Jedi versus mm-hmm. Seth. The Old Republic Wars are kind of the beginning of that, at least in full scale. Yeah. And so what do you do when you reach the end? Go back to the beginning. You go back to the beginning. And that's like, you know, that's Star Wars' thing. Like, uh-huh. we're at the end. Start over at the beginning. <laughs> that's that's that's, the, that's how Lucas did it. So it would make sense. Perhaps she is writing the first film based off of what Benioff and Weiss have plotted out already with that specific point in time. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the idea of like, oh, it could be a trilogy. It could not be. We're not sure. It would definitely be a trilogy. Right. If it is indeed Knights of the Republic, you're not just going to do a... Here's one Old Republic movie. You're setting up a ton of lore and mythos for nothing? Mm-hmm. No, that's what Benny Affelmeyer's do the best, is just you know establish and curate um, uh, nonsense and streamline it and make it more palatable. That's what the Old Republic had basically become in like, the after years of those KOTAR games. And so them doing that with this and with um, Lita writing, uh, or... Uh, that's possible. I think so. More, kind of more than likely. So you you do think that she is writing the first film for a band for wise? Since I'm not actually reporting on any of this, it's buy or sell. I would buy that she's writing the first script for Benny okay. Wise. Because I think because the because those movies have been given dates. Okay. The timeline that BuzzFeed gave, I believe, was that she was hired in like April of 2018, and she's been working on it since the last year. Um, and then Band for Wise were announced to be developing the tril- their trilogy back in February of 2018. So that's, you know, two months for them to be like, here's our general, you know, idea for the plot. Let's hire a writer. You're not writing it. You're writing it in secret for a year. And now that we're done with Game of Thrones, now we come back on board, look over your script, give notes, rewrite it. We gear it for production in 2020. Leak to the press. And we're, we're off and running. Um, mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. But I think there's also illusions in the report that say this is, not connected to any of the other things that right. are in development, which would then indicate that we have a third new potential trilogy in the works at Lucasfilm. And then going back to what we talked about last week, when we talked about, well, Beth Wise's movie is the is is indeed the Star Wars movie of 2022. Now we have a they they've had their things in the work, which wouldn't be Knights of the Old Republic. So that scraps that whole thing. Which now it's like, well, now what are they doing? Because <laughs> we thought everybody thought we had such a clear indication. Oh. Game of Thrones, guys, meet Star Wars. What do you do? Knights of the Republic. Duh. It's a no-brainer. Well, now if they're not doing that, what are they doing? Uh, something new, something original? We don't know. Um, but now we have this, and now we have Ryan Johnson's trilogy as well. So we only have those three Star Wars dates, and uh, either we're going off, we're going one trilogy at a time, knock them out in six years, move on to the next one, knock that one out in six years, and then move on to the next one, knock that out in six years, or we are going to have to do what you said before, and I thought was like, no, they're not going to do that. It was add in another Star Wars date at some point because unless these projects are just going to, you know, mole in development for a decade. Right. One of these three trilogies is on the, you know, outside looking in. Mm-hmm. For sure. And like, it, it, this could just be something where she told a friend and a friend told Buzzfeed that they're like, develop it. And we'll see what happens. Well, it had Maybe to be three not. friends. I think they said three different sources. Yeah. So, so that's highly possible. That it's just been making the rounds within the company. Like we hired some, you know, science fiction mystery thriller writer to right. do a Star Wars film, and then suddenly it just blossoms out from there in the midst of all this. Like, well, I want attention too for Star Wars stuff. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's the case, but you know, it, it it could very well just be we need ideas for Star Wars movies. Write us something. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe right. it's a trilogy, and it's totally separate. But I would actually buy that since Benioff and Weiss 
are it's been very clear that they are executive producing producing these movies rather than getting their hands involved you know on the set i mean they'll probably be involved on set too but you know writing and directing which has been pretty explicit um that this jives with that so i'm just looking over the uh press release that disney gave on february 6 2018 uh, for Banff Wise to do a star, a series of Star Wars films, and they said they will write and produce, which would, to me, indicate that they are writing the movies, not handing off their scripts to somebody else. Screenplay writing versus writing versus screenplay writing. I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a difference, but I think it's also with everything that we and we're going to get into Banff Wise a lot in the big question on Wednesday um, about what we can expect from their trilogy. We can probably revisit some of these topics then, um, but. I think with all the discussion around them as creators and as writers and their treatment of female characters and uh, maybe how they don't do that very well, I think, and then Star Wars, the constant criticism that they've had of, oh, why don't you have any female directors? Why don't you have any female writers on board? They're like, oh, no, we, we hired, you know, Deborah Chow and um, uh, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard to The Mandalorian. It's like, okay, yeah. well, feature. Like, we were talking about feature films. When is that going to happen? They're like, well, whenever they're ready whenever a female director is ready it's like oh that's yeah like you mentioned something before that's stop saying that captain mm-hmm. um if you had a female writer in the wings for a first film from Banff wise uh about nice little public i feel like that's not information disney and lucasfilm would just sit on for a year right if they knew this is it this is in fact where we're going this is indeed the writer of the film i think it goes back to what you were saying of they're just hiring a bunch of different people to write a bunch of different scripts for, for a bunch of different possibilities and then if any of them turn out to be good then they'll green like that one but then also get like a trilogy in the works for that property so if that's the case then like i said before we have three star wars trilogies in the works the first one's gonna be banned for wise in 2022 we don't know what's coming in 2024 if it's gonna be nice little public it's gonna be ryan johnson's first one it's gonna be the sequel to banned for wise's uh movie right it is just continuing to kind of muddy the waters of what the Star Wars future is beyond the Rise of Skywalker. But uh, hopefully we will find out more soon. Yeah, which is like in and of itself, like it's there's no been no announcements other than like these people are doing things for us. Mm-hmm. Ta-da. There, there just haven't been any concrete press releases to like muddy really as so much as just like this is a thing that's happening, but that's all. Sure. And they get out. Um, but to wrap up the main news segment, uh, we are going to talk about Christopher Nolan's new movie, which now has an official title this week, which is called Tenet. Uh, like David Tenet, the actor, but you know he's not going to star in the movie. One less with, N. Yeah, with one. With T-E-N-E-T is how it's spelled. Tenet means a principle or belief, especially one of the main principles of a religion or philosophy. Um, and in addition to the title, we also were, learned that uh, Dimple Capadita, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Clements Posey, Michael Caine and Kenneth Branagh have all joined the film, joining Elizabeth Debicki, uh, Robert Pattinson, and John David Washington. Not only that, the movie was described as set in an international world of espionage. So we have a title, a semi-plot description, Mm -hmm. and a bunch of new cast members. Josh, what does this mean for the new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet? It's extraordinarily vague. And like all of his films basically are, 
Dunkirk was the only thing where like, that's what's going to happen. That'll make sense, you know, or whatever the case is, aside from casting or whatever. Uh, like Inception, uh, he wasn't following it specifically at the time, but it was just like, he's got a new movie coming and it's supposed to be crazy. And like, that's what you could say about all Nolan's original scripts, uh-huh. you know? And so um, now we're here at it and I have no idea, but it does look like they are going to be some fine, sexy assassins <laughs> throughout this movie. From John David Washington to Robert Patterson, you toss in Aaron Taylor Johnson, you get to Elizabeth Debicki, he has brother Michael Caine even, you know, making the guy look great in a bow tie. <laughs> um, so, I don't know, but it's Nolan and I'm excited. And the title of the movie is mysterious and vague, but also speaks to a code and order. Uh-huh. And so, who knows? You know, uh, trippy John Wick. That's the vibe. I don't Interesting. know. We'll see. Because I think there's also been like some rumors out there that it deals with the space-time continuum in some way. Which is going to um, be crazy. So space if, assassins? If, if that's the case, are we getting like a space-time heist movie from Christopher Nolan? Like Looper? Like Looper meets um, uh, inner, like, I don't know, like, like Inception meets mm. Interstellar? Oh, I have no clue. Do we know who's written this film? He has. He, he's written the movie. He has written it all by himself. Whoa. Which he's I think really is... really evolving. Which I think is just the second time? Yes. Jonathan... Just Interstellar was the only other one, right? And Dunkirk, I believe. I think Interstellar, Jonathan, he had helped with Interstellar because Jonathan hadn't moved to Westworld just yet. Really? Double, double check that. I'll, I'm double checking it right now. But Dunkirk, I thought, was the first time he had actually written a film. You are correct. Jonathan Nolan was a co-writer on Interstellar. And that means that, yeah, Dunkirk. And because I mocked him for it in our review of Dunkirk, where I'm like, well, <laughs> duh, he wrote this movie. Right. There's no dialogue. Yeah, there's nothing to write. Uh, <laughs> and then, oh my gosh, those planes are coming for right. us. Or, Run. Run, duck. <laughs> exactly. It. And then, like, you know, the only, like, real monologue is just quoting Winston Churchill. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, I don't know, all these details are just so interesting to me because, again, we don't know anything about this movie other than it has a great cast. It sounds very interesting from like a very, very vague. It may be about espionage. It may, it is definitely going to travel around the world. We thought it was a time period with a, a period piece about love and right. <laughs> those, those are the early rumors. And that's, if that's the case, I don't know how we're getting to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't know. It just seems like if, like if all of these semi details about the movie are correct and we're getting a, spy thriller movie from Nolan that like involves thieves being able to like teleport around the world or something and then also like teleport throughout space and time and like also deals about like what is the beliefs of this group like yeah, there's the a code they there follow. is a very interesting like mixture of Nolan <laughs> going on here he's throwing everything at the wall that's but, for certain does it end with a that we're in a Nolan Cinematic Universe. <laughs> mm, uh, no, I don't think so. But if I if, if Guy Ritchie pops up, we should start expecting that. That's for sure. Ooh. I don't know. We, we have most of the cast members, like you mentioned, Aaron Taylor Johnson joining. It's great news. Michael Caine and Kenneth Branagh are there two Nolan vets at this point. You know, yes. Kenneth has only been in one previous movie, that being Dunkirk. Right. So is there because I don't think the whole I, I'm assuming there's going to be other cast members added to this it's not just going to be a we'll be like one two three four five eight person cast you'll see people they're like so, you know, hey like, he was in that one thing that it's I like liked. Joseph Gordon-Levitt going to pop up to be like a, a in a scene here to be like oh here I'm the 
guy who's selling you time travel parts. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But that would be something Gordon Levitt would do, though. He would, yeah. He'd be all for it, but I don't think that's how Nolan rolls. You're either a star or you're not there at so all. So you don't think any other Nolanites are joining? No, I don't think so. Celian Murphy, maybe. That's but true. that's he's about all. all. Yeah, he's he loves Celian. He's thinking he's been in the last... He wasn't in Interstellar. But he's been in them, most of them. He's not in Interstellar? No. 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 I thought he was. Dude, I thought, if, I thought he was part of the... Who's on the uh, uh, the mission with them? A bunch of other people who are not Celian Murphy. You're right. It's not Celian Murphy. Who is that guy? Because he like, looks just like him. Wes Bentley. That's who it was. I was thinking that was Celian Murphy for some reason. But you're right. Celian Murphy's not an interstellar. And again, I don't think there's that much else to discuss but about Tenet. They're very... Eastern European, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely. But, but you asked I, a question that I don't Do you remember. have anything else to say no, about No, I don't. I'll say more when I see the movie or a trailer, I guess. Yes, which will be based on the normal Nolan time frame end of the year? Yeah, he'll be a year Cause before Because it, it's also the movie now it started filming, so... Maybe, I mean, Nolan's sets are always very locked down, but you know, maybe some set photos will clear up what this is going to be. They'll shoot enough interiors and B-roll um, to cobble together like a interstellar-like trailer. We're like, we're going to space, and Matthew McConaughey will cry in a truck, and then we'll be like, <laughs> the final frontier, and be like, okay, that's It'll right. be Johnny the Washington, you know, monologuing about we have a code, and that's to kill the people for the time machine. <laughs> then that's it. <laughs> like, oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> yep. I'm on board. Uh, but let's move on to ticket or skip it. Here we have four trailers this week to give uh, to discuss. Give one of our tickets to. The final trailer for Toy Story 4 came out this week along with the international trailer for Stuber, the first trailer, or the second trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and the first trailer for Terminator Dark Fate. Josh, I will say that I liked all of these trailers, but which one will you give a ticket to? I liked all of these trailers too, but Terminator Dark Fate is the only trailer that I hadn't seen before, and I was waiting on, and I was expecting it. I'm giving my ticket right now because it looks fantastic. Welcome to the day after Judgment Day. <laughs> I thought I think that is just a kick butt tagline for the film, and Linda Carter, Li- Linda Hamilton, Linda Hamilton, as yes. Sharon Carter. No, Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor. Wow, <laughs> that was a walk. Uh, looks so badass, and this movie looks terrific. Mackenzie Davis as the Terminator returning to help save. But she's not a Terminator. But not a Terminator. She's, she's a human. human. As far as she knows. As far as she knows. uh, Some kind of cyborg. I don't know. But there are questions and I want answers. And I cannot wait to find out where this movie goes. Especially in Terminator canon and what it's doing for all of those things. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's erasing 3, 4, and 5. Yes. So this is the direct sequel to Terminator 2, Judgment Day. And... Yeah, I mean, Mackenzie Davis is definitely the standout for me in this trailer as well. Uh, she just looks awesome, as she always does. Um, no mention of John Connor, so he's supposed to be, like, the key to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So what happened to him? What happened to Judgment Day? We'll find out. Um, and then there's this this new main girl who's like, seems to be in, like, the John Connor role. So Right. Sarah even says, you're me. Right, you're me. We have to protect you. That's our goal. That's our mission. As long as we do that, we're good. So, 
what what is her role to play in all this is she some like i don't know she like some descendant of some other person uh that we've already met in t2 or t1 probably i don't know who that's gonna be i was trying to think i was like is there any way that like mckenzie like say like because a lot of people are being like oh well since john connor's not mentioned or around he must be dead and that's what has changed judgment day and all this stuff what if and i don't know how this lines up with t with terminator canon or whatever but what if mckenzie davis's character is the daughter of john connor from the future mm. and, and doesn't Sky know Matt it is not dead yet maybe I don't know. There's a lot of things going on here. I need to catch up with T2. It's been a while. Same. I don't remember much. I don't remember anything other than like the main points. Like he's right. Bach and that's all that jazz. <laughs> so you know, like I gotta, I gotta catch up on like the nuances and the yeah. the vignettes. Yeah, I gotta rewatch the them all forwards. ahead of uh, the November release date that Terminator Dark Fate has. I'm going to give my ticket though to One Spot Time in Hollywood because I did not give a ticket to the first trailer, if my memory serves me correctly. And I think this trailer just. For me, did a better job of selling what this movie is actually going to be. Because the first one was just like, we're Tarantino. It's the 70s? Mm-hmm. This late 60s? I don't remember what time period this is in. I think it's the 70s. Yes. Uh, and like that's all you get. And now here's Leo. And you know he's really happy uh, to have delivered that one line. But now here, we get the reverse of that where he's like super frustrated mm-hmm. and like kicking himself in the trailer. I thought that was a hilarious sequence. Um, but then also, we get a little bit more about Sharon Tate's involvement. Yes. We could see um charles manson as well and i think there's like the the trailer ends with them saying some of the moments of like you know in in like in hollywood anything can change at a moment and i I feel like that is a clear indication along with like tarantino's message to can of like don't spoil this movie in your reviews that we're doing the revisionist history thing that we got some glorious bastards and instead of you know charles manson murdering sharon tate and all those other people like Brad Pitt's character is going to be like looped in to go and kill them. And then he's going to like turn on Charles Manson and like kill him. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a, he is definitely, you know, he's the pivot point of this. Which if, which if, which if that's the, if that's the case, all these things, what's like Leonardo DiCaprio doing at all this point? Just being DiCaprio. Is he like hanging out with Sharon Tate? And like, that's how they like bring this together. No. Because otherwise I feel like he'll be like absent from the finale. I've heard somebody say it reminds them of Pulp Fiction and the way all these threads get grabbed and twisted together and tied at the end. And then all of a sudden the the dynamite, they're actually fuses of dynamite and it gets lit and explodes in our faces. Okay. And we'll love it. Um, But that's as far as I can describe anything. So (laughs) guess that's what's going down. I don't know. But it's just, they say it's just more high powered than what we see in Pulp Fiction. But it's the closest thing to Pulp Fiction. Okay. So those well, are those are tweets. High those are tweets. I, all I do is read the tweets. <laughs> all you do is read the tweets, see the tweets, respond to the tweets, and then speak the tweets into this pod. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, the, I'll give my ticket to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We'll move on to the flyby here to wrap up this episode, kicking off with a report from Deadline that the Stephen King novel The Long Walk has secured Andre Overdahl. Uh, sorry, but put your name, Andre, um, to direct. Uh, the Long Walk movie adaptation. Yeah, he is currently uh, doing Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which will come out later this year. Um, I don't know anything about the director. I haven't seen any of his previous work. I haven't read the Stephen King novel, but the premise of 100-ish boys having to like walk at four miles an hour nonstop, and mm-hmm. if you go below that, you die, and then it's like 
the last one to stay walking and alive gets like whatever he wants for the rest of his life. Sounds super interesting. Sounds like a great premise for a movie. And uh, I'm more interested now to see scary stories to tell in the dark to see like what this director has up his sleeve to see how this is going to be adapted. Yeah, it's very dis- it's very dystopian. It's very ceremonial. Um, you could say Hunger Games, like it's, mm-hmm. but it's the winner gets whatever they want. Right. So it, yeah, it. Who who knows what they'll like dive into? But it's very ritualistic and sounds crazy. It's the first Stephen King thing on here that we've talked about that I have never read, so I don't even know what goes down or what the rules are. Are you going to check it out in the book before? I probably am. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, usually 80, 60% of the books to movies (laughs) we talk about, I I pick up and read. I'm just going to calculate. I don't want to be like overzealous here. Right. Um, Because I'm just like, what is this? Um, Annihilation, I binged like immediately after the film because it's just like I have to now that right. didn't make any sense and the book <laughs> made less sense so like it, it's, they're perfect together so I'll do that just to get tied up but yeah more Stephen King properties the better I think yeah uh, and then to wrap up the flyby here we have uh, several release date announcements to get through uh, the first one being a very exciting one that John Wick 4 is indeed happening after John Wick Chapter 3 has crushed at the box office uh, it is already uh, the record setting film domestically for the franchise it's already made the most of any other john wick movie so uh the movie is doing phenomenal and of course john wick 4 is happening from lionsgate they have given it a may 21st 2021 release date keanu is going to be back there's no world if chad stileski will return to direct but you know all indications on my front are if you're going to date a movie two years out you're not Mm -hmm. swapping directors at that point yeah and if you're going to date like like you said if you're going to date it out like they've already got their ideas on the board and they're ready to move so I uh, can't wait for John Wick 4. We'll probably do a big question about the movie and who should join it in the next couple of weeks here. So stay on the lookout for that. We also have word uh, that the Sonic the Hedgehog live action movie will indeed be pushed back. It is now going to hit theaters on February 14th, 2020, giving VFX teams around the world several more months to work on this redesigned look for Sonic. So this is very good news because that was one of the main concerns that I think both of us had when this news was announced that they're going to redesign Sonic and be like, that's going to put a lot of pressure on VFX houses to really get this work done under an even more limited time constraint than they already mm-hmm. had. Now they're giving them an extra three to four months, and that's great news. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, we talked about I think we talked about bidding and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've gotten nuances on or off air. But, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, and then we also have uh, the new Taika Waititi movie, not Jojo Rabbit, which got a fall release date last week. Uh, his next project, Akira, will hit theaters on May 21st, 2021, the same day as John Wick 4. So odds are one of those movies are going to you know, change release it around a little bit. But Taika Waititi is indeed going to direct Akira. Do you know anything about Akira? Yes, seen it. You have? Yeah. Are you excited for Taika to take this uh, challenge on? I don't know. It'll be a serious turn for Taika. But he can also put some looniness to it. Um, the, the, for the, the original film, I don't think, leaves room for improvisation because it's just very... Um, very foreboding i think mm-hmm. in a lot of ways from my understanding the the premise of akira is about like it's set in this dystopian future new tokyo neo tokyo but i think for the movie it's going to be neo manhattan so they're going to really move it to america they're but they're not they're not whitewashing the characters they're just changing the location i don't know what the reason for that is um because but no one's gonna go see a new tokyo probably um but the movie itself is about you know this uh, one guy who joins a motorcycle gang and then tries to the lead s- of a motorcycle gang, yeah. 
okay, he's the leader of the motorcycle gang, and then he uh, is trying to stop his best childhood best friend who has a telekinetic mm-hmm. who is in mental with, abilities yes, yes uh from freeing another powered person named akira who was responsible for leveling tokyo slash manhattan beforehand yeah akira well akira is sort of the stand-in for nuke it's very um it's very born out of like the mythos of um the nuclear bombs being dropped mm-hmm. on japan it's very godzilla-like but yeah. it's a little more honed in on so much we create the monsters ourselves rather than Godzilla as a destructive force. Mm-hmm. And so it'll really be about how um, you can go mad with power. And Akira is sort of like the singularity um, that stands for it all. Or like, you know, when you reach a, when you have this, in, this unsustainable, insurmountable, untouchable power mm-hmm. that you can rain down upon people anytime you wish, that's kind of what Akira is. But it just follows how... Um, like the weakest among a biker gang has one bad encounter and then is suddenly set on this path of destruction despite their best efforts to rein him in and save him. And it, it, it's it's actually, it's bonkers the first time you watch it and then it gets a little more touching and um, it's more sincere than you would think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely get on it. I, mean, it's, I think it's on Hulu still, okay. dubbed and undubbed. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in the movie just because it's Taika um, and to see what he will do. Like you mentioned, it doesn't seem like it's a movie ripe for comedy or anything. So maybe it's not. And maybe this is his turn. That'd be fascinating to see. Um, Big budget, dramatic, but blockbuster Taika could be a very fascinating uh, mixture Mm -hmm. for him. Um, And lastly, the Invisible Man movie starring Elizabeth Moss and Storm Reid directed by Lee Winnell has also received a 2020 release date coming out on March 13th. So the rebooted dark universe thing is happening very quickly less than a year they haven't started filming yet so this is definitely gonna be very low budget very practical um and i'm i'm very intrigued to see what this ultimately becomes we were right we were right we were right right. that's all i got okay i'm excited next moth looks like the visible woman so right right I, I, I mean, I guess I don't know. Unless the Invisible Man is like terrorizing her, I think I think that's the angle they're going for. Is that Good. like yeah, he I is like, like the the spirit or X or so, I don't remember what the the reported plot was, like but a stalker, almost. something like that. Yeah. So uh, that would be interesting. Next week we'll be back with one of Josh's most anticipated movies of the year. Yes, which is Godzilla King of Monsters, and you are pumped, pumped. Looks touching. It looks beautiful. Um, I feel like you're going to actually feel the magnitude of, you know, the the, the kaiju that are going to be coming to live in this movie. Me or just generally everybody? I think everybody. <laughs> and, like, listen, like, it just it just feels like there's a heart in it. And I think it's there for me, but I think it's also Billy Bobby Brown being a part of it. And uh, we're going to go from there. Michael Duggerty looks like he's crafted something beautiful and that's what these movies need to be for us to you know uh, entertain the idea of monsters just blasting cities apart at free will mm-hmm. so i'm excited so am i yeah. uh not as much as you but i'm so very much looking forward to seeing this movie the reactions so far have been off the charts um and even the ones that i've seen are negative or like there's not enough focus on the humans and mm-hmm. there's just too much kaiju madness i'm like i doubt that'll be a complaint for josh and many others so <laughs> no, as long as it looks good so that is uh, hopefully going to be one of the, the big hits of the year. We'll also be back, as I mentioned before, with this week with a big question discussing Ben Affleck Wise and what the their history with Game of Thrones 
um, and what we can expect from their Star Wars trilogy now that is coming up next for Lucasfilm. Uh, so be looking for that on Wednesday. In the meantime, though, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by Joseph in this film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper. And you can get at me, Josh, and just Joshua Ryan. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head right to and give us a five-star review with comments. That's why you joined us to the show. Thanks again for tuning in to the Defense Podcast. Josh. Thank you for stopping in, everybody. And be sure to turn next week for our future episodes.